Hi, my name is Sheila. The Old Testament reading is found in Jeremiah 29, 10-14. The Lord proclaims, When Babylon's 70 years are up, I will come and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. I know the plans I have in mind for you, declares the Lord. They are plans for peace, not disaster, to give you a future filled with hope. When you call me and come and pray to me, I will listen to you. When you search for me, yes, search for me with all your heart, you will find me. I will be present for you, declares the Lord, and I will end your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I scattered you, and I will bring you home after your long exile, declares the Lord. The word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Paul. The New Testament reading is found in Romans 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been made righteous through his faithfulness, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have access by faith into his grace, this grace, in which we stand through him, and we boast in the hope of God's glory. But not only that, we even take pride in our problems, because we know that trouble produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. This hope doesn't put us to shame because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The word of the Lord. Please stand with me for the gospel reading. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said to the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simon, or I'm sorry, Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning, church. Here we are on the second Sunday of Advent. Now, for many of us, this is kind of a newer thing, so we want to just kind of take a, a, a minute or two to explain this. Advent is not just a, a holier or more spiritual sounding word for the holiday season. Advent is not what we do to combat the quote unquote war on Christmas. Advent is actually a season all on its own. And in, in church tradition, Advent is a season that we um, embark on to prepare for Christmas, to journey toward Christmas, these four Sundays leading up to Christmas. And then Christmas actually as a season lasts 12 
12 days, but don't tell your kids or they'll want like a present every morning, you know, from uh, all the way until January 5th. But, but for us, it's a, it's a long season of preparation and then of rejoicing. And so the purple on the stage and on the screen, aren't these banners beautiful that Jeremy Grant, the local artist, one of our church members also uh, created? The purple is, speaks of, of the royalty, the kingship of Jesus. And so Advent, in a very real way, says, hey, we're preparing for the Lord to come, but it's, this is the Lord who is the king. And so there's a sense of humility, of repentance that really comes along with this preparation. Um, and then we begin each service, each Sunday in Advent, we've begun each service with darkness to remember that in a very real way, without the light of Christ, the world would have remained in darkness. But thank God that Jesus came. Light broke through. Amen. The people in darkness, Isaiah said, have seen a great light. And so we kind of reenact that each week. Now, last week we said, okay, let's talk about hope. Let's talk about this idea of God doing something, making something good come from nothing. And we, we said, well, in order to do that, let's step back and let's say, how do we imagine hope? And we said last week, there's really two kind of versions of this. The, the secular version of hope really is progress. It's the idea that, hey, look, if we could just have enough education or enough wealth or enough of this kind of government or that kind of government, then everything will just get better and better. It's the myth of progress, that we can fix ourselves. And actually, the myth of progress, people make their appeal to the myth of progress even without realizing it. Whenever you hear someone say the phrase, well, it's 2014. Can you believe we're still dealing with X in 2014? What are they appealing to? They're appealing to the myth of progress. That just because time has advanced, supposedly we have advanced. But the gospel tells a different story, doesn't it? The gospel reminds us that in every age, we may have lost what we once knew. We may have forgotten what's, what we once knew. Uh, and, and, and so this idea of progress, of things just getting better and better on their own, that's not our version of hope. But if you were to press a Christian and to say, well, then what is your vision of hope? They might say something like, well, if you think it's bad now, it's going to get worse. But in the end, we're going to get out of here. <laughs> Hallelujah. And so last week we talked about this and then we said, okay, no, no, wait a minute. That's different than what we hope for. Our hope is something like this phrase on the screen, beauty from ashes. Something beyond the, the ruins of our lives and of this world. Something beyond what we could do for ourselves. And so last week we said, okay, let, let's, let's think about what it might mean to work and to watch and to wait as we live with hope. But today I want to fill out the picture just a little bit more. What is this hope? What is this thing that we're hoping for? What does it really look like? How do we know that this hope is secure? And actually today's word, as you may have noticed from the stage, is peace. Peace, however, is really connected to hope, isn't it? Because you could ask a person, so do, do you have peace? And so I don't know if I have peace because the truth is I'm unsure about the future. And in the end, if our hope is shaky, then our peace is fleeting. If our hope is shaky, then our peace is, is short-lived. It's fleeting. You, you might have an artificial sense of peace. It's all good. But you're really not sure what's around the corner. So we need a secure hope in order to have a secure peace. So what is this? 
Our gospel reading this morning was from the gospel according to Luke in chapter 2, verse 25. We're going to hear these words again. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there or, or pull it, put it up on your phone or a tablet or whatever it is. In verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now this phrase may not mean much to you, but in the original languages here, Lord's is a shorthand way of saying Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel. The God who created the world, the creator God and the covenant God. Almost every time you see the word Lord in your English Bibles, it's translating Yahweh, the great covenantal name of God. And when it says Christ, it's not just, you know, Christ is not like Jesus' last name, you know, as though his parents were Joseph Christ and Mary Christ, named the little baby Jesus Christ, you know. Christ is a title. In the Hebrew, it is Meshiach, the Messiah. The anointed one. And so when Simeon says, I've been waiting to see the Lord's Christ, he's saying, I've been waiting to see Yahweh's Messiah, our covenant God's anointed one. The covenant God's chosen one. Who was this Messiah? The Messiah was the one who was going to bring together all of the promises of God to his people. The Messiah was the appointed one who would rescue Israel from their enemies and judge Israel's enemies. Now things get a little complicated by the end of the Old Testament. We realize that actually the people who need rescuing also need judging. And we realize that the people who need judging also need rescuing because God loves all people in every tribe and tongue. And so maybe Simeon caught some of this, but this waiting for the Lord's Christ, for the covenant God's anointed one, is quite an expectation. And then he goes on. And he came, into the, it came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. Now stop for a moment. If you're the underlining or circling or highlighting type, you could circle the word prepared. The salvation that you have prepared. This is such an important word because I think for centuries, the people of God wondered if God was doing anything. Are you doing anything? Do you see? Do you hear? I mean, think of this history, you guys. Think of this. After Solomon's reign, the nation of Israel gets split into two. There's the northern kingdom that keeps ten tribes, and there's the southern kingdom of Judah that takes two tribes. And somewhere around 720 B.C., the northern kingdom gets taken by the Assyrians, and they get scattered. These races and these, these tribes are meant to be obliterated. And then shortly after that, 586, 587 B.C., Judah gets taken by Babylon. And after living through Babylon, living in hell in Babylon... Babylon gets overrun by Persia. And they're still struggling as slaves in exile in Persia. And then finally a Persian king says, you know, why don't you go back? And they go back and they start to, they find Jerusalem in ruins. And this is when Nehemiah weeps. You remember this? 
And then they rebuild the walls and then they rebuild the temple. And Ezra, it tells the story of when they rebuild the temple. It says there's shouts of joy mingled with cries and tears. Why? Because it's good, but it still hurts. You know why? Because this temple couldn't compare to Solomon's temple. This temple couldn't compare to what they had once known. They're glad to be back, but all around them are reminders of their pain. All around them are the ruins. They're saying, thank you. Ah, it's just so sad. There's this joy, but it's mingled with tears. And then, and then after that, there's this, this dude named Antiochus Epiphanes who comes into the temple and, and, and starts you know, killing people and committing the most, uh, uh, the abomination in the temple, the abomination of desolation, the prophets cause this hideous thing. And the Maccabean revolt, the Maccabees, the Maccabean family uprises to kind of throw this guy out. And that's where we get the celebration of Hanukkah for, for the Jewish people. But there's still unrest and turmoil. And then there's all these years of just silence and waiting and no miracles and no prophets and no word from God. And they're thinking, it's over, isn't it? The best days are behind us. And then Rome shows up and Rome's, you know, Rome gives and Rome takes away. They gave a kind of peace, but they also were oppressive. And Simeon, there had to have been days where the old man Simeon praying in the temple said, God, are you doing anything? Do you hear this? Do you see this? Are you sitting on your hands? Are you blind? I mean, we've spent years saying these things about how idols don't notice and how idols can't hear and how idols have no hands. But you, Yahweh, when are you going to act? And now Simeon says, you've been preparing this. See, church, God is working even when we can't see it. God is working even when we do not see it. Simeon is saying, okay, okay, I get it. You've been preparing all of this time when we thought that we were alone, all of this time when we thought we'd been abandoned, all of this time when we thought we were forgotten. You were working, working in our waiting. And then he goes on and he says, this salvation that you have prepared, and he says, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. You guys, if you ever want to dive into kind of a study, just look at the, those two themes of light and glory. And especially maybe in Isaiah. Isaiah 40 through 66 is a perfect Advent devotional, if you will. You could read a couple, you know, to catch up now and then just read one a day. And look in Isaiah's prophecies, so much of his prophetic words were about the people of God being a light once again to those who are afar off, right? And then remember toward the end of it, he says, look, arise and shine for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Light and glory, light and glory. And actually, these two things come together because one of the questions that the Old Testament leaves us at the cliff of is the question of whether God is going to abandon his promise or whether God will scrap the whole project. God, are you going to forget the business of saving the Gentiles and blessing all people? Or are you going to forget the part about using Israel to do it? Because there was supposed to be glory for Israel, an honored role in this. 
And there's supposed to be light for the Gentiles, salvation for them. So God, either you're going to change your plan or you're going to forget your promise. Either you're going to change your plan or you're going to forget your promise. I don't see how you're going to get out of this, God. And Simeon holds up the Christ child, little Jesus, and he says, I see it. I see it. Jesus, who is the seed of Abraham, Jesus, who takes on himself the whole story of Israel, Jesus will fulfill the promise to be a light to all peoples and a glory for Israel. Think of it, church. In Jesus, all of these promises come rushing together. In Jesus, all of these hopes come together in him, the only one who could be both a light to the Gentiles and the glory of Israel, Jesus. See, when we look at Jesus, we see God's salvation. When we look at Jesus, we see God's salvation. Now, Simeon, Simeon was looking forward. He was looking ahead. He was saying, I, I think it's coming. And then he held this baby and he said, it's here. We have the gift of looking back and saying, look, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We have the advantage of coming to the table week after week and to say, God, you did it. God, you did it. You brought salvation. When we look at Jesus, we see God's salvation. See, how do we know that God is faithful? How do we know that he's not just kind of, kind of you know, giggling to himself about our pain? How do we know that he's not deaf to our cries? Because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. Our New Testament reading, Paul says, because of the faithfulness of Jesus, we now have peace with God. Jesus embodied this. Jesus made it so. Love the words of the song my friend John Egan wrote. Our promise is Jesus. Our future is Jesus. All to him we owe. That's it, isn't it? Sometimes I think our eyes are looking too low. And we're looking at the circumstances and we say, God, hey, hey, God, do something about this. Hey, hey, God, how come you're not doing anything about this? And the more we fixate on the circumstance, the more we say, okay, you're not doing anything. Okay, you don't care. Okay, there is no salvation. Okay, there is no faithfulness. And, And I think the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, 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 lift your eyes a little higher. The Spirit of the Lord was with Simeon. And when he looked at Jesus, he said, my eyes have seen your salvation. Church, maybe the word for us today is lift your eyes a little higher. Say, but, God, but, but, but look at the situation in, in my home or with, with my friends or with my job. I mean, I'm looking at this and all I see is abandonment. And he's saying, look higher. Look to Jesus and you'll see God's salvation. Look a little higher. Lift up your eyes. Don't look at this. Look at that. Because God is faithful to save, we can live with peace. Because God is faithful to save, we can live with peace. Now, friends, you you have heard me say many different ways, many different times, when we say the word salvation, we're not simply talking about souls flying away to heaven, right? Because if we are, then this seems hollow, doesn't it? You're like, well, I mean, it's easy for you church people. You're all about your hope of escape. Pie in the sky. What about 
justice now? What about healing now? What about reconciliation now? What about transformation now? What about freedom from addictions now? What about... And see, when the Bible talks about salvation, it talks about wholeness. This word, sozo, this word of of saying everything is knit back together again. Everything is whole again. What's the first thing that's made whole? Our relationship with God. That that was broken by the fall, that gets stitched back together again. But what else is coming? Paul says it's this salvation that brings peace between Jews and Gentiles. It brings racial reconciliation in Christ. The salvation of Jesus Christ is strong enough to put all the broken things of this world back together again. And that's why Paul preaches the way he preaches. This is why the New Testament is filled with so many exhortations to live with humility and forgiveness and kindness. Why? Because we are the people who begin to embody relationships that have been put back together again. But do you know what? The kind of wholeness that God is bringing is beyond what we could even imagine right now. It's beyond it. It's beyond it. Only God can make the end even better than the beginning would have been. We think of like, we use these words because they're the best words we have, but we use words like restoration. We say, oh, God's going to restore all things. Yeah, restoration is a good word. But do you know what restoration makes us think of? It makes us think we're going back to the start. But the picture in Revelation 21 is not of Eden. It's of a city. It's no longer just a garden, but a garden city. And they're using the best metaphorical words, imagery, language that they have, saying there's diamonds and jewels and gold. And those are not descriptions. Those are not code. Those are symbols to kind of say there is a grandeur to God's grace that is beyond what you can imagine now. Beyond it. Paul says where sin abounds, grace abounds more. That means whatever, (laughs) whatever God is going to do, it is always more and never less. Always more and never less. Sometimes I'll sit with someone as a pastor who's grieving and going through a difficult time and say, Glenn, I, I get that, you know, there's heaven, but even heaven is kind of a place where we wait and one day there's resurrection and new creation, but, but Glenn, what's that going to be like? And I'll say, I, I can't give you specifics, but I'll tell you what, it will be more. It will not be less than the joy that you know now. It will not be less than the peace that you know now. Whatever it is, it will be more. Only God can make the end better than the beginning would have been if there were no fall. Can you imagine? I mean, think of that. Who does this? Only God. Only God. Only God can take what the enemy meant for evil and turn it for our good and for his glory. Only God could take the plan of the serpent in the garden and say, watch this, I'm going to crush your head. (laughs) Only God can say, death, you're going to be swallowed up in victory. Only Jesus stands up and says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. And behold, I am making all things new. See, when that is your hope, then you can live with peace today. You can live with peace today. Because you can say, well, if God is faithful to save, 
then what is the worst? You know, I think of that scene in The Count of Monte Cristo where he gives the toast to the young men. He says, there are going to be storms, and you're going to say, do your worst, and when you are done, I will do mine. I think of Jesus as saying, what's the havoc that the evil can bring in this world? What is it? Disease, wars, death, strife, division, bring it. When you are done, I will do my work. And nothing can compare with the beauty that God is bringing from the ashes. Now some of you this morning, you're here, and you know that you want to believe this, but maybe your prayer is very simply, God, I believe, but help my unbelief. I don't have this peace because if I'm honest, the thing underneath my anxiety is the feeling of being abandoned. Would you bow your heads this morning as the worship team comes? I want us just to make room to let the Holy Spirit work in our hearts. To be able to say to us, no, I know this is how it feels, but you've got to know I'm working even when you can't see it. You've got to know I'm preparing a salvation that is so good, you can't even imagine it. You've got to know that when you look at Jesus, you see the salvation of God. You've got to know. You've not been forgotten. You've not been abandoned.